how to have a miserable life. Look at that kid. Does he look miserable or not? Yeah, yeah. Three ways I want to talk about today to make yourself miserable. Isn't that what we all want and why we all come to church is to, to just lather in the mis- misery of life and soak it all in? No, it's not the reason that we come to church. I think I saw a nod or two. Are you crazy? No, today, inspired by a quote that I saw, I want to I use these three points, uh, or you will share with you three points, in how not to have a miserable life, but instead have the joy and the peace and the fulfillment that God desires for us all to have. So the quote, and you'll see this unfold as I preach through, the quote that I am and hinging this off of is there are three ways to make yourself miserable in life. Number one is to complain about everything. Number two is to blame all your problems on someone else. And number three is to never be grateful for anything. There's another version of that quote too that I saw about three ways to fail in life and it's very true as well for that. But let us think about and hear from the Apostle Paul how to live a miserable life, not. And the first of those, as I just said, is to complain about everything. I like how Paul reminds us in this scripture when he's writing to the churches and going throughout the, the Roman world at that time around the Mediterranean base and sharing the gospel message that, that his struggles are real for him and yet yet he's not going to complain about them. What does he say? I I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to be in want. And yet he still brings the message of good news. He tells them as he lives for himself to focus on the things that are good and right, that are blessings from God that he can recognize, rather than the things that he doesn't have or wish that he could change. I imagine all of us, if we wanted to in life, could come up with a very long list of complaints, couldn't we? Yes. And I know a lot of times when I start complaining about things is when my faith in God reduces and my misery starts to increase. If you want to be miserable, start complaining and getting focused on the bad things, the negative things in life, the 10% maybe, of everything that is in your life that is bad, and ignore the 90% that is good. It's easy to slip into and to fall into, isn't it? Yeah, if we want to be miserable, we can just get caught up in complaining about absolutely everything. I think there's something in human nature that that urges us to do that. There's there's always uh, the watchful eye about what we need to be looking out for on the horizon or be aware of that's not right and good. And that's a good thing that we have that sense and are open to that. But not to let it define who we are or shape our identity to make us complainers and complainers only. Why, that that just takes away all the joy that comes with living. And some people complain more than others, right? Some people may have more to complain about than others. There's no doubt about that. And yet we all have the choice whether to do it or not, whether to say it or not. 
I have found that, that when I complain, people want to be around me less. Have you noticed that in your life? Or noticed that about other people in your life? Yeah, I, complaining is like a wet blanket on life. It just kind of weighs things down. I'm not saying that complaining is bad, because we all need to be able to confide in someone our greatest struggles and, and know that they hear us and, and be affirmed in that. But to go around and just complain about everything... And point out all the bad in the world is just, just something that is a joy killer. I don't know, there's something about, too, being around people that are complaining all the time that in the back of my mind makes me wonder when they leave and go talk to someone else, are they going to be complaining about me then? There's something that just kills joy when we complain all the time and complain too much. I'm always fond of that story of the, the young man that signs up to be a monk and goes to the monastery and, and the abbot there when he and his class of other young fellows that, that are training come in, he gives them the, the instructions that you are going to live the first three years in a vow of silence. You're not going to say anything. Can you imagine that people would take that, that commitment? That's, that's quite amazing. They all agreed they were all on fire for, for God and for their faith. And so, so in silence for the whole first year, they were, they were quiet. And at the end of the first year, the abbot met with each of them individually and said, now you can break your silence just once with two words. And this one fellow, what came to his mind, he spoke out. He said, food bad. Food bad. And the monk said, okay. And... Over the next months, the food got better. And the guy thought, well, those two words were worth saying. The, the next year came around, the same fellow was asked the same question by the abbot after a, your second year of silence. Two words, what would you say? And he said, bed hard, bed hard. And so, lo and behold, a new load of mattresses came, and those, those young fellows slept very well. And third year came around, and, and the abbot questioned each of them and asked each of them their two words that they wanted to speak. And, and at the end of the third year, the guy, same guy, said, I quit. I quit. And the abbot said, well, it doesn't surprise me. You've not done anything but complain since you've been here anyway for three whole years. But we're not limited in the words that we speak. And we talked about that in a previous sermon series, but... What are we going to use our words for, to complain or to, to thank God for the good things that we have? If you want to be miserable in life, get caught up in the negative and just complain about everything. Second, to be miserable, blame others for all of your problems because that's the easiest thing to do, right? Yet as you've heard the saying before, to be careful when you are pointing or blaming others, right? Because... While you're pointing one finger at them, what is happening? There's three fingers that are pointing back at you. Now, we have to lay blame where blame needs to be, and that's, that's important in life. When things are done wrong and bad, then that needs to be attributed to the people that have done it. But to make a life of complaining and blaming others all of the time, why that puts us up in a high tower and puts everybody else down here to where we start to feel a little more 
better about ourselves than we ought to. You know, Jesus was very, very cautious to all of the, the religious people of his day to say to them, don't, don't think more highly of yourself than you do of others. Look for the speck in your eye before you look for the log that is in your, your brother's eye. Or maybe it was the other way around. It was. The log in our own eye, it's easy to see past sometimes when we are going around looking for what is wrong in others or blaming others for, for what we're struggling with. There are um, a lot of difficulties in life, things that come down the pike that we don't deserve. Sometimes I'm afraid that, that uh, even preachers can be the ones that blame people where blame is not due. It's bad theology to say that God caused this or made this happen to make someone suffer when we know that God loves us and desires for all of us to be redeemed by His grace. Lawyers, it seems, make a living, don't they? At finding out what is wrong and blaming others and laying that where it needs to be. And that's important in our system of justice and life. But it's not a good life motto to live after, is it? And yet, just like complaining, it is a human nature thing that, that we all struggle with. I find that when, when I blame others, I start to, start to get a little arrogant, a little cocky. And lo and behold, I get humbled sometimes in that. It's, it's human nature. Remember the story, opening story of the Bible in Genesis? Chapter 1, Adam and Eve are created along with all of the rest of our world and everything in it. And then life and breath are given to Adam and Eve, the first living people, man and woman, there together. And they are, as they go along, provided for. Each and everything that they need is right there to be fruitful, to be, to be complete. And yet they start to think a little more of themselves than they ought to. There's this tree that God said, you know, you can eat all of these other trees, but not that fruit. Not that tree, it was representative of God's knowledge. But Adam and Eve conveniently made their way over there with temptation. They, they took the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and they ate of it. And do you know what happened? The very first act in the Bible when they ate of the fruit? Well, suddenly they wanted to blame people for what they had done wrong. That that original sin, as we call it, they wanted to point fingers. Eve said, well, it was that slithery, slimy, tempting serpent thing there that, that made me take of it and eat it. Adam said, whoa, the woman gave it to me. It's her fault. And what happened as a result of that? Their eyes were opened and, and they were cast out of the garden because they wanted to place blame on others and not really look inward at their own selves. If you want to find joy and peace in life, come to terms with who you are, good and bad, and surrender it to God and let Him take it and find your joy in His grace and peace and righteousness and not in your own doing or in the, the bad things that are happening all around you. Jesus was very clear about this. Paul was, was clear that it was not the fault of the people in that church that he was writing to that he was having struggles in life. He wasn't casting blame. He just made do and went on in life. And, 
lived his faith in Christ. That's what we're called to do, and that's how we find true life. Well, the last part of this quote that I, I found that captivated me because it spoke to my own experience is that we will be miserable in life if we are never grateful for anything. If we just go through life taking everything for what we can get out of it and never thinking twice about where it comes from or acknowledging that. We live in a gimme society, don't we, where we can get instant and quick things fast and easy at the press of usually a button or a thumbprint on our phone. It's quick and it's fast and it's easy and and sometimes we forget what it's like to be in want or, or we don't delay our gratification because, because we don't stop to think about what we have and where it comes from. I have found that when I become ungrateful is when I lose the rejoicing that Paul opens this letter with or this passage that I shared with you. He says, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, in all situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And to be a grateful person means that we recognize that everything in our life is not just something that we've created or brought or done for ourselves. It is a gift sometimes from other people. It is a gift from hard work and from an employer. It is a gift from from someone leaving us um, something after they have been, after they have died in their will. There are all kinds of gifts that we receive in life, and if we will acknowledge that they come from others, we'll be a lot more appreciative of them, and we'll find much more fulfillment and blessing from them. But to ultimately remember that it is from God, from whom all blessings flow, as we sing most Sundays, it is from there that we recognize true thanksgiving and become grateful people. We're talking about stewardship today, and next Sunday we won't. Uh, it will just be an opportunity for you to come and bring that form that, that we talked about and I shared with you a little bit. But I want you to think through that and think about the practices that are there, five of them, because they're for your benefit. It's not for the benefit of the church. Though the stronger we all are in our life of stewardship and walking our faith, the stronger a church we're going to be, the greater impact we're going to make. The more God is going to use us and reveal to us His glory and His beauty that is all around us. But I have found that, that generosity and, and wanting to give back to God in in various ways, and in those five that we talked about, begin, generosity begins when we become grateful people. And to go through life and be ungrateful about everything, why, why it leaves us feeling empty, even though we may have all of the things that we desire. A grateful heart, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, a grateful heart is, first of all, a prayerful heart. When I pray and when I thank God and spend time thanking God for my blessings, I become a more grateful person throughout that day. On Sunday mornings when we have our prayer time, we didn't do it today because 
because we don't have a lot of time for the rest of the service. But I'll ask for, for concerns and things that are going on in people's lives and sometimes ask for joys and celebrations. Have you noticed that the concerns far outweigh the celebrations and joys that we share? Now, that's not bad. I like that we can be together as one people and pray together for the needs of the community and our church. But, but why is it that we're more reluctant to say, this is what I'm blessed with, this is what I thank God for, than we are to say, this is what I need from God, or here is someone that needs God? I think that maybe we're reluctant because we think people will perhaps think we're bragging. Could it be, I, I hope that it's not, that we're ungrateful people and that we are not mindful of the blessings and the good things that we have in life. To be prayerful and thank God for those things that are blessings in our lives, no matter how regular they are every day, people that matter to us, simple things like food to eat and a bed to sleep in, to forget about those and not be reminded by them every day that's a gift from God will make us miserable people. We'll take them for granted. A, a grateful heart is a worshipful heart. And I hope that while you come here on Sunday with our family of faith and worship together, you're uplifted. Our goal and our desire is to be about faith and hope and love. And I hope that everyone takes that away when we come and worship. It's a vital part of our faith that Jesus practiced and taught us to gather and worship together in his name. A grateful heart is a giving heart, a generous heart, one that gives to people that are in need, one that gives to those that they love, but also gives to those that they may not know personally and yet still have a need. One of the beautiful things, I think, in the ministry of our church is the food pantry that, that operates not on money that is given to the church operating budget, but every month is floated by people's simple generosity to feed folks they don't know in the community that have great hunger. 200 families a month sometimes come here and they need a box of food to take home to be able to eat and prepare and feed their families. And there's people that write a check and send it in every month to the food pantry. There's a food drive going on right now through into December. The town of Pleasant Garden has said, again this year, we will collect food items and we'll present them so that needs can be met. Beautiful generosity shows a, a gratefulness for what we have. A servant heart is a grateful heart, one that's willing to take some of our time and our talents and our abilities and, and to share those and to give those up for the greater good of others but to glorify God in and through the church as well. And a grateful heart is a welcoming and inviting heart, isn't it? One that goes and shares the good news of all that God has done and, and invites people to come along to sit at the banquets and to be a part of the party that we have been given here and now through our faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you want to be an ungrateful person, you're going to be a miserable person. Maybe we should stop and reflect and think of and make a list of all of those things we've been blessed with as Thanksgiving is coming just a week, a week and a half away. 
what a great opportunity to be grateful for all that God has placed in our life. Because I have found one of the greatest tragedies in life as a pastor is to see when people take for granted and miss opportunities to enjoy the blessings of God in their lives. When people are gone, we miss them and don't realize their impact and their value and their meaning to us until they are gone. The, the wealth and things that we have around us, um, when it's threatened or gone, we, we all of a sudden appreciate that we had uh, a nest egg. Just ask people who, whose retirement is in, in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and when that falls, we're alarmed and we're concerned, we're scared. Do we appreciate the blessings that we have from God and do we allow that to make us more grateful and generous people? Well, so that's how to live a miserable life. Did you get it? Yeah. It's really about not living a miserable life. And it's not just about being positive and, and not complaining and not blaming our problems on other people and, and about just being grateful. Because we're all going to have bad days, aren't we? We're all going to have bad times in life difficult seasons and challenges, and we're going to run out of goodness and positivity that we so desire and long for, and it's there, it's thin in there, where faith serves us most of all, where we place our hope in something not of this world or not people of this world, but of one who came to live and dwell among us, to show us how to live and, and die that we might live forever. Our faith in Jesus Christ is what will carry us and float us and give to us these good things that God so desires when we can no longer muster them. And so today I encourage you, remind you, invite you to cast your, your fears and your struggles and your worries and your complaints and your problems to Christ and let Him take those from you. All of you who struggle and are heavy burdened. Come to me, he said, and I will give you rest. Christ did not come to die so that we might live miserable lives, but that we might live a life of joy and peace and fulfillment as God created us to. Let's pray together.